Well, we shall uh, we shall get started. Yeah, we we might get some weather started before we end if I don't get going. Huh? Um, why don't we start off with a little prayer before I forget? Father, thank you for uh, all that you do for us. You are a great God, and as we look into your Word tonight, we pray that your Holy Spirit guides us into what your truth is, be able to understand it, understand who you are, and what your plans are. In uh, your Son's name, Amen. We uh, came off of chapter 10 last week and uh, quite prophetic there. Have you noticed? Zechariah is quite prophetic <laughs> all the way through. Uh, chapter 10 was about God's blessings, His promises, and uh, just a little bit of the bare-bones skeleton was that He's going to give them rain. I mean, there's a physical rain, a literal rain, uh, one day that they'll have crops. Uh, also, that would be a spiritual reign too, where they would be God's spirit would be reigning on them. I guess in the sense that you can see that there's revival there, and then uh, there was going to be recompense that He was going to judge the nations. Another promise, and that was the key promise of all. It was the Messiah, and He was seen as the cornerstone, as the tent peg, and the battle bow. And uh, of course, the Messiah is the whole focus on what this book is about, anyway, isn't it? Uh, fourth one was restoration. He's going to restore the uh, uh, nation of Israel. Uh, it's going to be rejoicing in verse 7. And then 8 through 11 uh, was regathering. Regathering them from all over the world. And, of course, that couldn't have happened uh, at that time because uh, we're talking north, south, east, and west. Uh, they have been regathered into where they are at now, that tiny nation. He will continue to regather them, uh, especially at the time that uh, he comes back. And then uh, renovation, a spiritual revival uh, for them. So the, quite the promises, blessings, sun is shining there in chapter 10. And then we get into chapter 11, and I want to tell you, the lights go out. And it's like, boy, you read this, and it could be depressing. You know, it's, it's like uh, it's like uh, January and February, but I want to tell you, there's something really, really fascinating about this chapter. I will tell you that chapter 11 of Zechariah might be one of the most difficult chapters to interpret in all of the Bible. Definitely uh, one of the most in Zechariah, and it actually pictures Jesus as a shepherd here. And of course, you think of God. Being a shepherd, Psalm 23, what does he say? The Lord is my shepherd. And in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. There's plenty of shepherd verses in the Old and New Testament. When you come to the the 11th chapter of Zechariah, though, uh, you have a presentation of two shepherds. And this picture that's drawn up in chapter 11 is really not very pretty. It's anything but beautiful, but lovely. It's it, we we see the, the ugliness, the sinfulness that's involved, and, and of course there is judgment. There's doom here, and you can say, "I'm ready to go." <laughs> okay, I'm out of here. It's snowing. I got to get out. It's raining, freezing rain. Uh, why do I want to hear this? Uh, I tell you what. After I got through looking at it and looking at it, and then pouring over again and again. Because I was trying to make sense out of it as I read it. And it is very difficult. But I think once we look at it, we'll see that it's not quite that difficult. Uh, It's just you need to read through it a few times and put it in the context. You would think we would have hit the apex of Zechariah last week when we talked about you know the, the nation of Israel. God has made His promises. And you remember that right there, Tony? That that's what that was all about. Promises, blessings, it's all good. And remember, Zechariah is written on the intention of comforting the people. They come back from Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Can you imagine the United States being packed away for 70 years and come back? And of course, Zechariah receives from the Holy Spirit about this wonderful prophecy to comfort the people. And the message, really, of this prophecy, and really the message of Zechariah is this. It's basically twofold. Number one, going to rebuild the city. Number two, I'm going to enable you to enter into a kingdom someday beyond anything you've ever dreamed of. 
That's a promise. They had their own little kingdom and their city, but he's saying something that's much further out. So one prophecy comes true quickly. They rebuilt their city. They did it. Jerusalem, we know that it existed. By the time you have Christ, there was the uh, uh, another uh, that temple had been built upon. It was Herod's temple. It was real beautiful. Okay, so God is going to redeem His people. He's going to gather them back. The kingdom is is promised. Everything's looking good. This is a promise of God. And what Zechariah said centuries ago about all these promises, these people who are Jews, read Zechariah, and they're counting on this. This is their hope of the Jews today, and especially the ones who would take this literally. This is this is how they would interpret the Old Testament that God has this great plan of the kingdom. And they're going to be a major part of it. That's what they even look at to today. They're still looking for it, aren't they? They don't have it. But they're looking for it. Now we know at the second coming, there's going to be redemption. And that's when He's going to redeem this nation of Israel. They're going to be restored. And that's what we really looked at last week. Uh, at the Okay, when you think of the second coming, there's going to be a kingdom. At the first coming of Christ, there was really apostasy, right? They, there was a turning away from Christ because He offered Himself, a terrible rejection there. And so this chapter goes not so much to the second coming of Christ, but which coming? Well, it's really going to the first coming for the most part. Now there is a second coming aspect to it. But it's predicting the rejection of the shepherd. Okay? The rejection of the shepherd. Chapter 11 tells us okay, why the promises like in 9 and 10. Okay, those promises. Chapter 11 is going to tell why they didn't come to pass when Christ was here the first time. It's going to tell us why and so if you keep that in mind, so it can really help us. Refer to the second coming. Well those things that didn't happen in the first coming. Right, right. And and the reason why this that kingdom didn't come is because they rejected it. Oh, okay. So that's really what we're going to see. They reject the true shepherd. And of course on your outline there you have the wailing shepherds, the ravage there, and then you have your rejection of the true shepherd, point number two. And then your third one is reception of the false shepherd. So uh, that would be near the second coming there, you know, receiving the false shepherd. But they rejected the first shepherd, or uh, Christ, uh, the Messiah, at his first coming. But receiving the false shepherd, they, they receive a bunch of them. Right, there will be many Antichrists, and of course, ultimately, they will follow the Antichrist, which is, you know, in place of Christ Himself there. So, 9 and 10 don't come to pass when He comes. And you think, well, that's it. That's, that's what it should have been, right? They rejected Him. And so, that accounts for the postponing of the promises that we had in chapter 9 and chapter 10. We get into chapter 11 and say, wow, what happened? We have these promises, and then all of a sudden it seems like the bottom drops out. So that's where we're at. And it'll take us uh, right to that time of Christ's first coming. Matter of fact, Christ came to His own, and His own received Him not. Okay, chapter 11, first three verses. And I will tell you, it has a lot of poetic imagery. There's pictures here that he puts forth, and that's why it's pretty difficult when you just read it first off. But uh, we'll try to get a hold of that in a second. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that a fire may feed on your cedars. Wail, O Cypress, for the cedar has fallen, because the glorious trees have been destroyed. Wail, O Oaks of Bashan, for the impenetrable forest has come down. There is a sound of the shepherd's wail, for their glory is ruined. There is a sound of the young lion's roar, for the pride of the Jordan is ruined. And you read that and you go, what? I mean, at first reading, it's, it is kind of tough. 
what we're saying here with with this poetic kind of imagery that he's putting forth there's a storm cloud of judgment and in chapter 9 there was judgment on all the nations around Israel remember that that's really what 9 was about chapter 11 is about judgment on Israel and he say he wrote Zechariah to comfort and encourage him but this is why they re- reject Christ and we'll see it in in this chapter this is all very prophetic you'll get it in a minute Okay, he takes these trees and he takes that and he divides it up. If you picture Israel from the north to the south, what he's doing, he's saying there's going to be a ravaging from all the way to the top, all the way down to Jordan, to the, the, to the Dead Sea. Because if you look on a map, you can see how that, that works out. He's, he first starts off with, open your doors, 11. This is just open them up. And, and what he's saying there is, hey, uh, you might as well just open it up because here's what's going to happen. It's good as judgment coming. Um, if you go all the way up to the north border of Israel, you have Lebanon, that, that whole area. The Syrian-Palestinian border at the north is Lebanon. Lebanon is known for what trees? Well, right here, that a fire may feed on your cedars. Uh, they were known for their cedar trees. What did they do with their cedar trees by at the time of Solomon? They used those trees. Lebanon helped them build their... Um, uh, yeah, well, it was part of the, the temple. And they helped build that, and they used the cedars. And they were known for their tall cedars. And, and uh, anyway, he's speaking of a fire. We don't necessarily have to take this literal, but he's saying that what's going to happen is a, an actual devastation. Um it's a real judgment. It's not just a spiritual judgment, a real judgment. People are really going to die. There's going to be real death. Uh, it's about the land of Israel. It's going to be judged. When do you think that's going to be? Going a little bit further. Um, this, the trees stand here for sections of land. Okay, you have the cedar trees, then you have the oaks of Bashan. Did he go on down? It talks about the uh, the lions and uh, those are different uh, sections of Israel. Uh, Bashan is south of Lebanon, and it would be like okay, you have the very north part where people would be familiar with those those cedars up north in Lebanon. The devastation is going to start there. It's gonna it's gonna go on down to where the oak trees are at. Matter of fact, verse two he says cypress, cypress trees, cedar trees. If you take the tall cedar trees and the mighty trees that they had, if those trees are going to go down, certainly the cypress or the fir trees will go down too. Um, it's more than just, you know. You're talking about massive trees here, but he's not necessarily talking so much in a physical realm as he is what. God is going to do in this uh, devastation, in this destruction. Once you see Lebanon, you go to Bashan, and the oak trees are going to be taken there. You know, these are trees. This is an area where people think of that is would be you know a mighty area, you know, a glorious part of Israel. Um, impenetrable forest has come down. You know, God had protected Israel for all those years. You keep on going down. You see, you have Lebanon. You have Bashan, would be in the middle part. You go on down further, and you have the Jordan area. And so we've descended all the way down to where the Jordan Valley is, and of course the Dead Sea. Um, is that more grasses or something? You have a lot of grasses there. Um, you have... Um, Almost, a matter of fact, at one time there was almost a jungle there of foliage in that whole southern area. We, we know there's a lot of wilderness area there, but it was definitely a, a wilderness, a forest type area, a jungle. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting that he mentions the lions there. Uh, wild beasts lived in the Jordan area for many centuries. And it actually came up, it was a little place where uh, lions actually dwelt in this thick foliage. That really happened. So he associates what they're known for. Cedar trees. 
the oak trees where the lions were at all the way down the south. What he's going to say is that when he judges Israel, he's going to do it in a, in a total way. Uh, idea of destruction. Um, if you wanted to see about, let's see about those lions or, or actually where the wild beasts were at, you can turn to 2 Kings 17. kind of interesting, just a side note, I guess, but it's kind of funny mentioning lions there. But Israel actually had those at one time. Verse 25, at the beginning of their living there, they did not fear the Lord, therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Cities of Israel and places of, of Israel and that kind of thing, and of course there was the king of Assyria all involved. But uh, anyway, that was kind of the falling of, of Israel there. Uh, in Jeremiah, in the prophecy section, forty-nine nineteen. Of course, they would have known by uh, about lions. It's kind of interesting. Would you think of lions in Israel today? But uh, the lion from the tribe of Judah, right? They knew full well what that was. Behold, one will come up like a lion from the thickets of the Jordan against a perennial watered pasture. For in an instant I will make him run away from it. Whoever is chosen, I shall appoint over it. Uh, for who is like me and will summon me into court? Who then is the shepherd who can stand against me? There he's speaking of... Um, uh, more judgment. That was actually a section that's a prophecy against Edom, but that would be in that area, the thickets of the Jordan, on the other side, lions. So anyway, that's kind of an idea when you when you uh, think of lions. Now you can think, well, they actually had them there. Yeah, they were famous for being in that in that area, north, middle, south. He's just saying all over. Uh, not necessarily just kind of trying to destroy the trees and everything in it. But I will tell you what's happening here. What this is referring to is the destruction of Israel and Jerusalem that occurred in 70 A.D. 70 A.D. is after the time of Christ. Jesus was crucified around, let's say, 30, right? Forty-some years later came that great devastation from the Roman army. And, of course, that was Titus the general and they came in and finally destroyed Jerusalem. Years following that, Hadrian of uh, marched through that area uh, north and it's toward Galilee, and they destroyed 985 towns. They went from the north down through the middle, and of course went all the way on. Israel was in total destruction, not only Jerusalem, but it, it, it started at 70 A.D., and that was a major destruction. Uh, 1,100,000 people were killed in Jerusalem. I think they said they threw off 100,000 over the walls just for fun. Soldiers had a blast and destroying, making an unbelievable devastation that occurred in 70 A.D. This is a prophecy of that. It doesn't look very clear, but this is the only time that we can see a total destruction north to south and it was after the time of Babylon because we're talking future and it didn't happen, hasn't happened um, since 70 A.D. It did happen at that time. Uh, they were literally scattered all over the world. That's why you can see Jews and their trek, especially all over uh, Europe. They'd be kicked out of one country to another. And uh, of course when they were, uh, they, many of them uh, wound up in Western Europe and had been in Germany and even Russia. And of course, some of them had gone south where there are Arab countries and they were scattered all over the world. A lot of them came over here. And of course, uh, within our lifetime, we've seen many of them gathered back to um, that nation of Israel now, which was not a nation until our time. About five years before I was born. matter of fact, it became a state. Um... What immediately follows here, which is given, is the, the reason for the judgment. And that's what we're getting ready to go into now. There's the judgment, 
and it's just using picture language that we saw. But would you say that was a destruction? Major. Um, the reason for the judgment is that they rejected their shepherd. And that's why when we get into the two shepherds here, we'll, we'll see how that two shepherd title fits. This just fits history. Fits all of this. History fits into this prophecy. They rejected Christ. It was like 40 years later. whole nation went out of existence. As a nation, people scattered. Jewish, Jewish people have been preserved as individual people as they have been scattered. And they, of course, they married married within their their own people. When the Roman army came down, though, they destroyed a, a civilization of people except for a remnant. And, and God kept them. He managed to keep those people because He's got a promise to them. And uh, they're preserved by God to be regathered. So, the first three verses, utter devastation. Go to the second part. This is where they reject the true shepherd. And this is why they were judged in such a way as they did. When he came to his own, they received him not. Forty years later, boom, there came that judgment. The reason for this uh, destruction, as we say, this is a key to the the, the chapter now. Uh, He's going to use Zechariah, and he's going to use Zechariah as an actor. That's what's interesting. So let's read this next section. Thus says the Lord my God, pasture the flock doomed to slaughter. That's interesting. Those who buy them slay them and go unpunished and each of those who sell them says, Blessed be the Lord for I have become rich. And their own shepherds even have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. But behold, I will cause the men to fall, each into another's power, and into the power of his king. And they will strike the land, and I will not deliver them from their power. Okay. Key of the chapter is God is telling Zechariah here, okay, there's a lot of different ways to make prophecy utterances. In the Old Testament, how did they do it? How did God use prophets? He would speak to them in dreams, in visions. Um, of course, we've seen the visions of Zechariah, right? There were different ways that God actually was to get His word to the people and use the prophets. Yeah, he spoke through donkeys. Many ways that God spoke. Sometimes he would use the prophets to um, act something out. Do you remember Ezekiel? God said to Ezekiel, take a, take a tile, a, a piece of clay, this sounds strange, but lay on it, lay it before you and paint on it the city of Jerusalem. And then lay siege against Jerusalem. Show how that's going to be uh, sieged and build a fort against it and cast a mound against it. Of course, we're, we're talking about the time of Babylon and, the, and that kind of prophecy that was coming against. And what he did, he just made it like a model out, you know, where people could see it. And this is what's going to happen to the city. It did. Well, Jeremiah was to lay on one side and then later on to turn over and lay on the other side for quite a length of time. And he was acting a symbolic act before the people. This is what God is going to do in His judgment. right? God has done that several times. One time He had the prophet run almost what uh, naked yeah, for the people. Naked thing <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what he's telling Zechariah to do is, I want you to play the shepherd. Okay, if we get that from this four through fourteen, I think we can get it with what what is happening here. Um, I want you to tell. I want you to be like the, the true shepherd. And of course, who is the true shepherd? Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, right? I want you to feed the flock. Matter of fact, he says, pasture the flock. 
Of course, we get the word today, pastor, from pasture in the English. And what does that mean? Tend for the flock. Care for the flock. Feed the flock, right? So he says, Thus says the Lord my God, pasture the flock, doomed to slaughter. That's interesting. Feed the flock that's intended for butchering. That's the literal sense in the Hebrew word there. They're a flock for butchering. Yeah, but the thing is, they're not fattened up because they don't hear, they don't want the word that he has. God says, I want to, I want to try to feed them one more time. Okay, first three verses is dealing with a judgment that's going to come after Christ comes here, right? So now we go back in time a little bit, just a few years, 40 years, or 70 years. I guess it'd be 70 years uh, when Christ was born, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's essentially what Jesus did. I want, he came, he fed them. Matter of fact, he did miracles. He cast out demons. He gave them the word of God. He fed them literally sometimes, feeding the five thousand and such. Yeah. Um, and so God came through the person of Christ, tried to feed the flock. Would they be fed? For the most part, they wouldn't be fed. So they were a flock for slaughter or for butchering. He says. In verse 5 now, here are the oppressors of Israel. Those who buy them, slay them, and go unpunished. And each of those who sell them says, Blessed are the Lord, for I have become rich. What's happening here? These are your foreign oppressors. Uh, go to Jeremiah 50, verse 17. Okay, now, where we're at is we've, we've now advanced to the time of Christ, He comes to feed them. Most as a whole do not accept His food that He's given them, the truth. And so God then will judge them. Here comes the oppressors. Now in Jeremiah 50 verse 17, how is He speaking here? Israel is a scattered flock. The lions have driven them away. The first one who devoured Him was the king of Assyria. And this last one who has broken his bones is Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Who are the lions there? Assyria. There was the Assyrian Empire, which was the next empire that God used to inflict punishment on them. The Babylonians. But did He destroy Israel? Did He scatter them all across the nations? No. They did come back. Assyrians, the Babylonians, and that's as far as it went up to that time of Jeremiah. Nebuchadnezzar was going to be one that was going to be brought upon um, Judah, Benjamin. So, uh, what, what we might see here is God designed these nations to come and bring judgment upon them. Now, it doesn't mean what they did and how they did it. God was for because we know that they uh, had reason. They went way beyond reasonable judgment, and how they did and how they treated the people, so much cruel cruelty. Uh, they did it without any kind of guilt. That God uh, punished them, we know. But at this time, He brings them on, and you notice. Um, he says, "Those back to verse 5, those who buy them, slay them, and go unpunished. Um, when you had the 70 A.D. and then the time after that, the Jews were considered to be slaves of Rome. And, of course, they had been, I guess, underneath them, but not treated in such a cruel way. Um, the Romans must have determined that what they were doing was a wonderful act of judgment. And, of course, um, they bought and sold Jewish people as slaves. He says here, those who buy them and slay them, they, they buy them, they kill them, uh, and, and they go unpunished, the Romans did. And each of those who sell them as they sold these Jewish people as slaves, this was all at the time of 70 A.D. and on, and history shows that. 
Zechariah is pointing this out, what, about 500 years before this happened. And you know what they would say? They would make fun of their religion. Blessed be the Lord, for I have known I have become rich by selling the Jewish people slaves and they took all their material goods and such, you know. And there you have that at slavery. Josephus even talks about uh, that and uh, how they were sold into slavery. Josephus is a historian who was a Jew at that time. He can go out and get his book today anytime you want. But it'll tell of some of these times that we're talking about here. This is talking about in the future. This is why we can believe the Bible. Prophecy is told four or five hundred years before it happens. And it gets better as we go on through here. We've only got 15 minutes. It's not snowing yet. Um, okay, so... Uh, the shepherds didn't show them any pity. Their, their own shepherds hiss that their own shepherds have no pity on them. At the end of verse five, right? So their own shepherds, their leaders, their rulers, they they didn't do anything to prevent uh, this to happen. They they encouraged the idolatry and the or or, or the wickedness that they've gotten involved with. Um, they didn't give them spiritual truth. They didn't give them the message of God. Of course, at this time, the church is being uh, grown up by the Lord. Who were the first people of the church? It was the Jews. So God had His remnant right there in in the church as it was spreading. He got other people who are Jewish people too. But uh, it could have been the priests and the elders and the scribes. They were so corrupt. And that was their own people. Their own shepherds have no pity. Now we go to verse 6. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land. Okay. It's bad enough to have it now from the nations that oppress them, the foreigners. And also it's bad enough for coming from their own rulers who had become liberal. By the way, that's usually what happened. Right? Um but now they don't get any pity from God. Because He says, I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. The people that are being told this by Zechariah, they've been giving all promises all the way up to this time. And now here in chapter 11, He says, and the Lord's not going to have any pity on you. How does this make any sense with all the promises that have been given? But behold, I will cause the men to fall each into another's power and into the power of his king. This is this is interesting. This is really fascinating. This is why I say this is all prophecy that's already come true, and it's dealing with the first coming. You know, it's like Ichabod has happened here. It's like. You know, Ichabod was, you know, that was a message to them that God has, the Holy Spirit has left the temple. He left. You know, it's like he's not here anymore. That's the saddest thing of all is when God says, I don't pity them anymore. Turns his back. Makes me think of Romans chapter 11. Well, that's that's uh, that's exactly what's what's happening there, and verse twenty-five tells us Paul wrote Romans eleven. For I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. I want you to know this, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Don't be prideful, church, you you Gentile church, right? That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. And he quotes out of the Old Testament there. I'll make my covenant, uh, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Okay, it says right now they're enemies, but it's for our sake, you know. He used, uh, I'm glad that he turned to the Gentiles. That was his plan all along, but what did he do? He turned his back on Israel. This is in a book that has given us nothing but hope and promise, and in chapter 11, it's like he breaks his covenant. 
can God do that? Well, this deal about the king, I've got to hurry now. Okay. I will cause the men to fall. 70 AD happened. Each into another's power. The Romans' power, and of course in that Roman Empire were a lot of nations, and into the power of his king. This is what is interesting. Who is their king? Well, at that time they didn't really have a king, did they? Who was king of Israel? Well, we would say they didn't have any. And he'd say, well, this prophecy couldn't come to pass then. Well, Judah chose a king. They chose a king at the time Jesus was there. Jesus is the king. They had the king. Jesus is the king of kings, right? Matter of fact, when he came into Jerusalem, he was riding on the donkey and he presented himself as the Messiah. The king is here. Four days later, they rejected him. They examined him like they would a Passover lamb. On the fourth day, then they would kill the Passover lamb. We will not have this man to what? To reign over us. They didn't want that king. He was there. That was what it was all about. They turned around and said, We have no king but Caesar. Go back into your text. Behold, I will cause the men to fall each into another's power and into the power of his king. And they and the king, they will strike the land, the first what three verses that we read, and I will not deliver them from their power. I'm not going to deliver them. I'm going to let he doesn't say the Romans here, but this is clearly what it is. We can look back in time and say history was at seventy AD. We have no king but Caesar. Isn't that interesting? So by the choice of the Jews, who was their king at that time of history when Jesus, the king of kings, was there? Who was their choice? Caesar. They are the ones who ripped Israel apart, scattered them all across the world, and for 2,000 years, basically, they have been scattered, and now in our time... They are back in a state in the same land. Only God could do that. Now, Zechariah is carrying out this part as feeding the flock. So he says in verse 7, So I pastured the flock doomed to slaughter. Hence the afflicted of the flock. So that is what? Because they didn't take the king of kings. They took their king, the power of his king, which is Caesar. I took for myself two staffs, the one I called favor, and the other I called union. So I pastored the flock. Now remember, this is Jesus here. But Zechariah is acting out the part 400 years before Jesus comes. Zechariah the priest is past, pastoring the flock. You know, he's, he's you know, given an idea of what this is about. And um, he, he says favor. And by the way, favor there would be... This is like two... It's two sticks, isn't it? I took for myself two staffs. or Two sticks, two staffs. Uh, one of them is grace. He calls favor. And the other is called union. So as he pastored it, when Jesus was here, he did it with grace and also unity to to unify uh, Israel, and of course, ultimately to unify the Gentiles along with them. The first stick is graciousness; it's tender care. He was gentle, he was loving, he was kind, he was merciful. In our study of Luke, that's what we've seen all the way through, haven't we? As he went to the people, he was gracious, he was forgiving, and so we're getting a prophecy of the Messiah. And this is the pat, uh, the uh, the shepherd, and so he had the two staffs, and that's that's what he did. The, the second one is unity, uh, or it's tying everything together. It's gathering one f- into one flock, one flock to get all the lost sheep together. That's what he was doing. 
to bring lost sheep together, all the wayward sheep, get them in their fold. I am the good shepherd. Right? To get them in that fold. So Zechariah is acting this out. He's acting out. Are we, are we following this? Are we good? Yeah. Okay? It, it's about the first coming. It's about Jesus. This is about the Messiah. Then I annihilated the three shepherds in one month. Now this is difficult. For my soul was impatient with them, and their soul also was weary of me. Okay, you got three shepherds. Boy, they have pages and pages of different ideas on this. And I have no full answer to it, but I'll give you what I think what might possibly be. Could be the leaders of Israel. Uh, and they had offices, priests and elders and scribes. That could be. Don't have to be dogmatic about it. We don't know for sure. But he, he took those out. You know, he gets, and this is during the time of Christ or after 70 AD, right? And what he's saying is, for my soul was impatient with them. When they killed the Messiah, killed the King of Kings, this is when God's patience has run out. Audrey, what does it say in KJV there? In uh, eight, eight, verse 8. Three shepherds also are cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Okay, my soul loathed them. And they also have a note that loathed could mean destroyed. And no, cut off is destroyed. And That's despised. Right. Despised, um, uh, loathed. Right, that word there, uh, and it, it probably in the Hebrew, it's the closest word for that would be impatient. I cut them off. My patience was exhausted. God finally said, "That's it." Now this is what's interesting. He's always had a covenant with the people, and this is why I think a lot of people believe that God is done with Israel. Because if we stopped right here, then it's like, okay, well, all of those first ten chapters sounds like God is saying, I'm making a promise, but I'll tell you what. My patience has run out. And I'm done with you forever. And most people that don't believe that uh, there's such a thing as Israel or God's promises left to them anymore... Would would almost have a right to say it if you just took this section, where he says, "I ran out of patience." He says in nine, then I said, "I will not pasture you. What is to die, let it die, and what is to be annihilated, let it be annihilated, and let those who are left eat one another's flesh." Wow, what's this? What's cannibalism? Literally, it's cannibalism. They ate each other's flesh in 70 A.D. Whenever they, uh, they actually, you know, the Romans came up against them for quite some time, where they just starved, cut off the city. They had nowhere, no way to get food, water, or anything else the way that they had before outside of the city. And over a period of time, uh, you know, people are, are getting killed, and of course. They started eating their own children, you know, eating whatever was left. I mean, this is really what happened. Josephus records this terrible cannibalism in his book. That really that happened. He wrote back at that time. He was living at that time, and so he knew full well about it. This this is incredible. I mean, would this have been wrong for the Jews to do? Well, yeah, absolutely. But that's where it had gotten down to. And of course, to stay alive, that's what they did. If somebody died, maybe they would immediately start eating eating them. And this is, this is prophecy come true. He says, I took my staff, in verse 10, favor, and cut it in pieces to break my covenant, which I had made with all the people's to break his covenant. The covenant had to be broken. My promise is that was no nation would be able to destroy Israel. 
I just broke that, and I'm going to allow this nation to come in and do their devastation. That could be it for Israel, couldn't it? But we have to remember these other chapters. The covenant that has been given, if you go back to the New Testament, we can look back on it in time and say, oh, this is a partial hardening. He turns his back on his people for a while. So here we go. Verse 11, So it was broken on that day. And thus the afflicted of the flock who were watching me realized that it was the word of the Lord. And he has a remnant that he's going to keep alive, right? Some in the church, but there are some outside the church, just Jewish people, and they continue to keep populating. I said to them, if it is good in your sight, give... Okay, this, this is where it really gets good. Right, this is the first coming of Christ here. Okay, you go back. We went to 70 AD. We'll go, go back to uh, 30 AD again now. I said to them, If it is good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. That magnificent price. So I took the 30 shekels of silver, threw them to the potter in the house. This is Zechariah now playing this part out as he's throwing the money in there. Then I cut in pieces my second staff, union, to break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. What did they do? They rejected the king when he came. God, though, how can you be so severe? How can you be so judgmental? How can you be so violent? Well, he says, well, just let me remind you about how you treated me. When, when it was all done, I said this, what am I worth to you? I've come, I've healed, I've raised the dead, I've told you the truth, and I even offered you myself. And I offered you eternal life. And what am I worth? The price of a slave. That's what they thought of him. And don't have enough time, but if you were to look up Exodus 21, 32, you'll see the price of a slave. 30 shekels of silver. And of course you go into Matthew 26, 15, 27, 9, and 10, and where you have? You have Judas. I was going to say, Judas was the one that did that. They didn't do that. Yeah. So that's what they offered him probably. But what he's saying there is that what what was it offering? Of course, they turned him over. Is He yeah. turned him over to them. Uh, to, to catch him for the 30 pieces there. But that showed what he was really worth to them. He was no better than, than a slave who is considered to be nothing. You know, they, they kill slaves, they beat them, whatever they wanted to do. The whole nation was scattered, it was dissolved. But there is the rest of Zechariah. But okay, here's what we're going to finish. In a flourish, the Lord said to me, now what he does now is he takes a look at another shepherd which they will follow. The Lord said to me, take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I'm going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered. He won't seek them. He won't heal the broken. This is what Jesus did. The true shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. He, you know, he came there to care for him, to seek out the scattered, heal the broken, sustain the one standing. But he will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock! A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered, and his right eye will be blind. What he's saying here is God raised up a shepherd. We can go into Second Thessalonians, talk about the second, uh, you know, the the Antichrist, Matthew twenty four, Daniel nine. It's a worthless shepherd. He has, uh, and what he's talking about here, when the sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. This is a worthless shepherd who has strength and intelligence, and then will be taken away. 
Anyway, he's going to take all that. But they didn't receive Christ when he came, but when Antichrist comes and makes an offer to them, and in the book of Daniel, and I'm just going to close out after this. Daniel 9, uh, 27, or uh, uh, 26. 926, then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. He was crucified, have nothing. The people of the prince who is to come, that would be the Romans, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. 70 AD, Daniel prophesied this, like what, 500 years before. And its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. And here we go, all, all the way up to the end now. Now, 70 AD, then you have like 2,000 years later or whenever, he will make a firm covenant with the many. Who's he? That's this Antichrist. will make a firm covenant with the many. Who are the many? That would be Israel. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. That means there has to be a temple built, which the Jews, that's what they want so much because that's how they get sins forgiven. Sacrifices, they think. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. There's the Antichrist. He will make a covenant with them. And they agree with him. They accept him. They didn't accept the first coming of Christ. And then this shows the grace of God because after that time period, He will come back for His people. And that's where your Romans 9, 10, 11. That's where all of Zechariah has been so far and especially what will be mentioned in the last three chapters, what will happen and all throughout the rest of Scripture, it, those blessings and promises will come true. But if you if you finished at chapter 11, you could say God is done with them. He did it at 70 AD. That's it. So how do we describe what's going on today? What, who are these people that live in this land that used to be the nation of Israel? <laughs> what is God going to do with this? Wow. Yeah, Chapter well, I 11. I wish I had been here last week instead of this week. <laughs> I'm telling you, wow.